Hello, everyone. It's Raquel Ark. It's time to work smarter and feel better together. Welcome back to Your Listening Superpower Podcast, where we explore listening as a superpower that transforms communication into connection, both at work and at home. Listen in on inspiring conversations with authors, scientists, and leaders that will open your mind about what is possible and give you communication tools for your leadership toolbox that you can use right away. Let's have fun discovering and growing our listening superpower together. Are you someone who has a hard time finding ways to speak up in meetings? Or you feel like your ideas are not quite understood or getting the value or credit that they deserve? Or are you someone who is working in their second language and you are worrying that your accent will have an impact on on how you're perceived or whether you get that promotion that's coming up next month? In this episode, author of the book Unmuted, Heather Hansen, shares stories and practical tips that can help us all have a voice. Heather is on a mission to help all voices be heard, no matter the accent and no matter the situation. Founder of Global Speech Academy, she helps global leaders of diverse and dispersed teams build unmuted communication cultures that increase efficiency, innovation, inclusion, and collaboration. She is also an outspoken advocate for global voices and linguistic inclusion, as demonstrated by her popular 2018 TEDx talk titled, Two Billion Voices, How to Speak Bad English Perfectly. We would love to hear from you. And what are the gold nuggets that you have discovered in this podcast today? You can email us at listeningsuperpower at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Welcome, Heather, to the Listening Superpower podcast. It is truly a pleasure to have you here. And I'm surprised that our paths have not crossed sooner because I think we have a lot in common. I'm really curious about our conversation today. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me, Raquel. I've been really excited to have this conversation with you. And I'm also surprised we haven't met. We've already found some commonalities and, and mutual friends. So we'll have a lot more to talk about, I think, after, after this conversation as well. To start off this podcast, I'll start off with a question that I ask every person that's on the podcast. And I'm curious about the story that you'll come up with. When did you first notice the power of listening, whether it worked or it didn't work? This is a story I don't think I've ever shared on a podcast, so you're getting the uh, inside scoop here. And it's a little bit embarrassing because it was when I first came to Singapore and I was you know, new to the island. I knew very few people. And I'm the loud American who talks to everybody, right? In the lift and in the queue at the supermarket and just anywhere I go. And I was really missing that human connection and contact. And I was at this conference and there was a break and I was out at a table with all these books they had on display. And I picked up a book and the woman next to me turned to me and said, oh, have you read that? And I thought, oh my gosh, someone's talking to me. And I was so excited. I was making a new friend. And we had this really long conversation. And I went home after the conference and I said to my husband, oh, I met this wonderful woman. Her name's Catherine. She was so nice. And my husband said, oh, really? What does she do? And I said, um, gosh, uh, I don't know. And he said, okay, well, 
does she have kids or I said, uh, actually, I don't know. (laughs) And he's asking me all these questions. I knew nothing, absolutely zero about this woman, nothing. And he looks at me, he goes, okay, so let me get this straight. You met like your soulmate and you know nothing about her. (laughs) And I said, oh my gosh. And that's when it hit me that being a good listener is the key to being an amazing conversationalist. Because I walked away from that conversation feeling so incredibly connected to this woman, feeling like she was my new best friend, feeling like she had just cared so much about me because she knew how to ask curious, authentic questions, and she knew how to really show interest in the answers. And no, I never got a call from Catherine to go have coffee. I was so embarrassed to ever reach out to her when I realized that I hadn't asked her anything or listened to her in my excitement of meeting someone new who took an interest in me, that that was a huge learning moment where it shifted my entire perspective on what's important in communication. So that is 100% my biggest learning moment around listening. You know, I love this, the story about listening on two sides of the coin. Mm -hmm. First of all, your awareness of this deep connection you felt with this person, and she really, Mm -hmm. she made an impression on you. Huge. And yet it had nothing to do with what she said. Mm -mm. So being aware that, oh, I, maybe I should listen so that the coffee comes after would be good. (laughs) Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But at the same time, for those people who are listening, often we feel like we have to say something to make an impression, Mm -hmm. to be memorable. Yes. But what if also listening and asking these questions and being curious actually makes you memorable? I think that's really interesting. Yes. And every client who comes to me, one of their main concerns is, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say at the networking event. I don't know how to do small talk especially people who don't, who weren't born into English and are operating in English environments. I, Heather, I just, I don't know what to say. And I always tell them that story because I say, you know, you don't have to say anything. You can ask some really good questions very authentically, and you can sit back and relax and listen. And that takes a lot of stress off of people who aren't as comfortable in those kinds of social situations as well. So listening really is a superpower. I love the title of this show because it is your superpower in connecting with people. And like that moment is one moment. And what is nice is eventually if we take that and then it goes both ways. And then what if we're both memorable for each other? And what if we can take this further to something that goes beyond this first moment? This is what we're working at, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you're doing is you are helping voices to unmute. Yes. Yes. This is my mission in life is to hear more global voices, especially voices that have been silent for too long. You know, looking around our world, I think so many people are very frustrated, including myself, with just all of the problems that we see in our world from pandemics to financial crises to war to you name it. And I feel like this can't possibly be the pinnacle of human potential. There's got to be more. So either the people with all the great ideas are not speaking up or the opposite, we are not listening to them. And it's probably a combination of both. So, th- so that's really become my mission now is how do we make sure everyone's voice is heard at the table 
And how do we ensure that we're all listening to those voices so that when that brilliance is spoken, we hear it and we understand it and we act on it. So this is really important what you said. And when you first started thinking about this idea Mm. to where you are at right now, what is it that you know now that you didn't know before? I think when I first entered this industry and I had a background as an English teacher, that was, you know, I have degrees in linguistics, international studies, other languages, and then was certified to teach English, started working with some language schools where I was working in multinational companies, one-on-one with top leaders uh, to help them with language-related issues and running some workshops on communication skills. And that was the background. And coming from that background, you come into a classroom with your job being a teacher, and this is right, and that is wrong. And no, that grammar is incorrect. And no, that pronunciation is incorrect. And over time, and especially with one client in particular, we were in a consultation. And I said, we were talking about presentation skills and articulation is what he wanted help with. And I said, now, what about your grammar? Because I had noticed he had several things that we would consider errors. And, and he says, my grammar, nobody cares about my grammar. As long as they can understand me, that's good enough. And that was like stabbing an English teacher in the heart. I mean, I was, what do you mean grammar doesn't matter? What do you mean? I can't be the grammar police? This can't be right. And so I think I've realized over time how many judgments I came in with, how I would judge people's education, experience, ability in the way that they were able to articulate their messages. And when I realized I was doing that, I started seeing it everywhere. I started seeing it in all the organizations I work in. I started seeing it in who they chose to promote, who was the most eloquent, who was the most global, words that are completely subjective and allow us to hide a lot of discrimination behind them based on accent, based on language levels. So that has probably been the biggest shift in my perspective of how I teach, how I coach and guide people to find their voice and to express themselves in their accent. And that, no, there is no one perfect proper English. That does not exist. What I believe is correct, a friend of mine from the UK will say is incorrect. So which one? What do you want to choose? It depends on your context and where you are in the world and the setting that you're in. And we're all navigating and negotiating meaning in every conversation. And, and that's probably the biggest shift that I've had in my career. And luckily, I came to this realization rather quickly in my career. So I've been able to focus my attention on what I feel really matters, which is letting people speak as authentically as they possibly can to share their brilliance with the world. So since you've started helping people share their voices in this way, how has your voice changed? Mm, That's a fantastic question has changed. I think it's probably become more authentic because I always had that inkling, that niggling feeling that something was off. Like, who was I to say that they should pronounce it this way just because that's the way I say it? And who was I to say that that was right or wrong when I knew in British English, it was something totally different. And so I think I always felt a little bit of that imposter syndrome. And I know a lot of English teachers around the world feel this way when they don't speak and sound like the MP3 files they have to play in the classroom, there's that sense of, am I good enough? Am I teaching them the right thing? Is, am I making the right choices? 
And so by stepping into helping people to express themselves more authentically has allowed me to be more authentic in my own communication, or at least I hope. That's my hope that that has happened. You know, I was just thinking about what you learned from your client, you know, where it's like, nobody cares. I just want, I just need to be understood, right? Mm -hmm. And I wonder when we say that, there's probably different layers of that. One thing is being understood, you know, the content that we're sharing, you know, we need the information that we're sharing. But when we say that, is that really what we want? Or is it that we want to be understood as a person in a way that, we are seen for who we are. What do you really want when you're working with people? At what level are you working? Mm-hmm. It's both. But ultimately, it is the second one that you mentioned. It's finding the meaning behind the message. The words are one thing. That's our first layer of expression. But there's so much more to it than that. And, and that's when I feel we're really listening, when we're recognizing and noticing having the cultural intelligence to understand and hear the meaning behind the message, knowing when something might be lost in translation. So often in global business, the words we use do not actually express as clearly and concisely as we would like the real meaning behind our message, which is hard for us to express through and across culture and language. So it is about, it's a full body sport when we're truly listening and trying to understand someone. It's digging deeper than the simple words. But of course, that might feel like the first step for a lot of people. Can they understand the words I am saying? That's level one. And then can I learn to express myself in a way that really brings forward my meaning? And as listeners, can we really give the benefit of the doubt, be open-minded, non-judgmental? Uh, stop from judging long enough that we really can dig into the meaning behind the words we're hearing, not be triggered by a word or a phrase or get thrown off track because something isn't expressed the way we expect it to be expressed. And those are all really big challenges. Hmm. You know, I also do a lot of work with multicultural teams Mm -hmm. or in groups. Yesterday, I had a group of 15 and there was probably 12 or 13 different cultures and accents and people. I I didn't ask where they were all from, but it's amazing. And I was just reflecting on our conversation before this podcast and I was thinking about my experience yesterday. And I think because I'm around these environments all the time, I'm like, was I noticing their accent? What was I focusing on? Where was Mm -hmm. I paying attention? You know, how was I listening to them? And what I noticed about them, even with all the accents, what was really important, for example, was that they had good audio. It was video, you know, like yes. that, they were, that they were loud enough, that they were, they spoke slow enough so that I could catch their words, that they, even amidst the accents, what got in my way of understanding them was sometimes the audio, sometimes it was mm-hmm. the speed. And sometimes when you notice they were a little bit insecure about what they wanted to say and their voice got softer, those were things that I was noticing yesterday. And I wonder when you're working with people, one thing is their accent. I know you do a lot around accents. So what is it that supports mm-hmm. them in their accents so that they can be understood and be more clear? And how much is it in their just building confidence and their tone of voice? Yeah, both of those areas, all of those areas combine. It's interesting what you said, you know, how they might say something, but there's a problem with the mic or the connection's bad or Maybe they just aren't projecting very well, even in a face-to-face situation. And then you say, sorry, what? 
And then because they're already insecure about the language or the accent, they think that you're saying what because you didn't understand, when really you were just saying what because you couldn't hear them. And so our own confidence levels play an enormous role in how we're then interacting and showing up. And I know this is true as you do as well, because I've lived in environments where I have to speak a foreign language and I've been in that exact situation where they say, what, sorry? And I immediately think, oh, my accent or, oh, I'm, I'm always so awful at that word. And then when you try to say it again, maybe you're even softer than the first time and, and it ends up being the cycle that just gets worse and worse. So definitely our confidence levels impact how we're showing up, how we're projecting our voices as the speaker who maybe carries some of these insecurities. And we have to really own our voices and not take it personally or assume that we're the problem when somebody asks us to repeat or clarify. That very often is not the case. People come to me all the time and say, no one can understand me. I said, that's not it at all. No one can hear you. You simply are not projecting. I can barely hear you right now. Or, well, no wonder you're having trouble on your video calls. Your microphone is awful. Like, we've got to fix that. And sometimes it's just something so simple. But when we already have an, an insecurity about the way that we speak, and it could be language, it could be all kinds of things. It could be our voice. It could be who knows what. But if you have that insecurity, that's going to affect the way you show up and communicate. So, so that makes a lot of sense there, you know, that confidence issue. And then, of course, as well, knowing very specifically which sounds are going to be best understood in global settings. So there is a, a large amount of research that's been done linguistically that has shown there are certain sounds that will be helpful in global environments. So using a crisp T, which I have to personally think about as an American, I say water and international and important. And I don't use all my T's, important and water and international clarity. I have to really think about it. And now I'll go back and listen to this podcast and hear up to this point, I've not been pronouncing my T's. <laughs> but that's one for, yeah, for that me. Yeah. And Arr. it's one. Yeah. So even those of us born into the language to be clearly understood globally, we also have to make adjustments. This is not just someone who has learned English in a classroom. It's all of us. Uh, so T's are important. R's are important. Getting our word endings on our words, very important. Important. And this is all part of it. Knowing these little differences that can actually make a big difference from the speaking perspective and from the listening, and then also being aware of how people could be coming into the conversation and the insecurities they might carry around language. So that when we say, I'm sorry, what? We say, we make it clear. I understand you fine. I just, I'm having difficulty hearing you. Can you bring the mic closer to your mouth? Or can we check the phone connection? Or can we switch our speakers or whatever? So it's really clear. It's not you, I can't understand. I'm really having difficulty hearing you. And that can in itself make a big difference in the relationship as well. Yeah. And if we're insecure too, you know, whether someone understood me or our accent, I guess we can also ask, you know, I'm not sure if my yeah. accent is clear. Let me check in. Yeah. Well, no, is it really the accent or is it something else? Mm -hmm. And that's a good tip too, because sometimes just talking about the elephant in the room, as we like to say, something that's so obvious to everyone, but we're embarrassed to talk about it. If they simply say, I, you know, I'm sorry, I know my accent can be difficult at times. And if you aren't familiar or haven't heard me before, please just let me know if I need to repeat. And just putting that out on the table can take a lot of that stress off as well. That's one of my personal tricks that I use when I'm speaking Danish. And 
Even though I'm quite fluent, I know I have a strong American accent. And although most of them enjoy hearing it, it can be difficult. (laughs) Um, Just putting it out there, it helps me to feel like, okay, if there is an issue, now we've talked about it, we're over that. And I also don't have to be sitting there thinking, oh, they can't understand me. Oh, they're thinking about how I just pronounced that. I can just focus on Mm -hmm. my message. You know, when I'm speaking German, I also, in in larger groups, I'm a little bit more insecure. You know, it takes Mm -hmm. me a little bit more. Mm -hmm. I have to push myself to go out there. But I do it, and then it's always okay. (laughs) Usually it's okay. But what I've noticed, actually, it's not only is it okay, but if I, this elephant in the room, if I say, hey, my German's not perfect, so please let me know if you don't understand, that my not being perfect gives permission for others to not be perfect. And so sometimes to frame that in a way that it's okay that we're all not perfect helps people to relax and sometimes become more vulnerable and open to change in that environment. Mm -hmm. So to take that and also bring it into the framing of the context can support the communication process. Yeah, absolutely. That was actually the foundation of my TEDx talk, which is called Two Billion Voices, How to Speak Bad English Perfectly. Because it was this entire, you know, idea that number one, there is no such thing as perfect English or perfect any language. As much as we try to control language and we try to put rules on it, the reality is we all use it in our own way. And we're going, it's the users who decide how we use language. None of us are perfect. And then realizing that in global settings, especially, not being perfect or trying to be perfect and using those huge words that you only took on like a high school or college entrance exam and that nobody actually uses in real life and no one understands. If we stay away from those and keep our language simple and clear, we're actually going to have much better communication in our multinational, multicultural settings. And even in our own home settings, even Forget, you know, big C national cultures and other languages, simply in our own relationships, in our own languages, in our own cultures, it's going to be more helpful. And it's more inclusive as well. Not everybody had to sit for those exams and learn all those humongous terms, and they don't sit reading academic journals. And what you know, they might not know. And using those big words is really a form of exclusion, showing, look how impressive I am. And oh, I'm sure you understand. But since you know they're not going to say, I'm sorry, what does that word mean? Nobody's going to do that in the middle of a business meeting. They're all going to save face and say, oh, yeah, yeah, good, good, great idea, right? While feeling like they don't belong. Oh, gosh, I don't know what that word means. I have to go look it up now. Let me get Google. Mm-hmm. So not focusing on being perfect in our language especially, but in communication in general is going to be very helpful <laughs> in, in getting the job done, right? So if you were to give a little tool or a tip to mm. someone who is in a different country speaking their different language or in their second language in their second language um, to support them in the business context to be understood. Yeah. Well, first of all, I think is to be very aware of the sounds and words that are difficult for you. I mean, I, I have a list of words in Danish that I avoid at all costs. <laughs> Unfortunately, one of them is carrot rye bread. And if I go to the bakery to buy that, I have to say it. <laughs> but I point as much as possible. Um, but if you know the words that are really difficult or sounds that you know might cause confusion, I mean, I know very specifically which sounds I really cannot pronounce in Danish that are very difficult. 
And then I try to have a list of alternatives available fresh in my mind that I know instead of using this word, why don't I use this word? We have so many synonyms. We have so many different ways of saying things. So really thinking through our messages to be as clear as possible with our vocabulary, choosing words that are easier. Even sometimes we have to talk around the point a little bit, but we're able to ensure that our speech is clear. Also understanding those sounds, if the language is English, and understanding the sounds in English that are most important for intelligibility and understanding, like the T and the R, um, certain vowels, the er, er sound, like in curl, that sound, that er, that is a really important vowel sound and really the only vowel sound that matters. If you said garl instead of girl, that would usually cause confusion. Uh, but so sounds, basically that... Yeah. So just so that I understand, when you say focus on the the words like the T, the R, the URL, this, uh, um, uh, yeah, to find ways to practice those. Mm-hmm. To practice those. Also increase your listening skills, really tuning your ear into that. Because the problem a lot of times is when we're in a foreign language, we can't hear the difference between the sounds. In Danish, for example, there's an O and there's another sound that's like O. And for me, for years, I could not hear the difference. Now, the problem is there are two football teams, and one is OB and one is OB. <laughs> and when they played each other, I had no clue what was going on. And OB is Odense Ballclub, which is where I lived. So when they played Olborg, OB, <laughs> and any Danes listening are like dying laughing right now, I would just sit there like, who's winning? OB, which one? You know, I could not hear could not hear the difference between these sounds for years. And I really, it took me a long time to tune my ear. If you cannot hear the difference, you will never produce the difference. So especially when we're shifting between languages with vowel sounds that we can't hear the differences between them. And it's usually the vowels that cause us a lot of problems. That takes some ear tuning of really listening a lot, upping your your language input, whether it's radio or YouTube or taking an online course or whatever it is, listening, really tuning into your colleagues and um, to try to identify and hear those differences. And um, that's going to be really helpful. And that goes for people working in English or working in any language that's foreign to them. That's how I've managed in both German and Danish at different points in my life. And I mean, you probably resonates with you as well. I know, you know, the German vowels. Yes. The difference between cherry and church. I get yes. that confused all the time. And I'm uh-huh. trying to talk, where's the church? I'm saying, I'm saying where's, where's the cherries? The cherry? <laughs> <laughs> and these things happen constantly. And so we also do, although it can be so frustrating. We do also have to be patient with ourselves and be able to laugh at ourselves when those things happen. And that can be very, very difficult because it is a form of microaggression that we're experiencing every time when someone says, wait, sorry, what? I didn't understand you. Or, oh, where are you from? When you've just started a meeting or, oh, your accent's so charming. I'm not trying to be charming right now. I'm at work. You know, if I was speaking English right now, charming is not a word you would ever used to describe me in this context. And those are hurtful and they are microaggressions and they are a way that we're constantly made to feel like we don't belong. And so even in those times, we have to be able to be patient, understand that the intention was not to make us not belong um, and that we need to choose how we react and respond in those situations, either by 
by recognizing and saying, you know, I understand. I know that that's funny, but, you know, please just let me <laughs> get through my conversation or get through my message or my presentation. Um, you know, there are many times I've said, would you like to switch to English? That's the privilege of being an English speaker because I can do that. People can't say, would you prefer we speak in Mandarin? That isn't really going to help you in international business. Not, well, if you're in Asia, it can, but not in a lot of the world. So we also need to recognize the privilege we have as English speakers. Yeah. And many English speakers are unfortunately monolingual, so have not had the struggle and don't understand how difficult it can be. And that extra split second it takes to hear and understand or to find the right word or express ourselves fully. So it is quite difficult. So we talked about what people who have the accent can speak, and then you kind of mm -hmm. touched a little bit on how others might respond and maybe even the things that people say that they don't realize may yeah. be perceived as not belonging. You know, I right. don't think a lot of people realize that. So if we're going to flip the coin over mm -hmm. to the organizational and the leadership perspective, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. can you give some examples of how or a story or something that shows organizations how they can take this concept into consideration to support their employees or to support mm -hmm. making sure we tap into the potential of people with accents who are actually very smart and have yes. so much to bring. Mm -hmm. And yet sometimes because of the accents, their perception is they're not smart enough or they can't, mm -hmm. or they don't have the potential to do the job or whatever. I, you right. know, I had a similar story a long time ago, but I was able to move past it. But but I'd like to know from your perspective, if you have something you could share to help mm -hmm. make that more concrete to our listeners. Yeah. Well, a huge part of my message at this point in my career is trying to get organizations to start including language and accent in their formal diversity policies. So we talk about everything under the sun from gender discrimination, sexuality, ethnicity, race, neurodiversity, but we never mention language and accent. And it is so closely tied to racial discrimination and ethnic discrimination, even sexuality, gender. We identify and categorize people immediately when we hear their voice. And we can learn so much about them, or we think we can. We've immediately categorized them. We may or may not be right, but we're quite good at this. And we often can properly place race, sexuality, gender, many things, just hearing someone on the telephone. So first of all, from a leadership perspective, leadership needs to start by including this conversation in diversity programs, policies, and training. And that is a very big one. We know from research done in the US, the UK, and other parts of the world that we are discriminating based on accent in hiring decisions and in promotion decisions. So one thing that has been found to be the major thing that will help to deter this bias from occurring is simply putting a small note at the top of a, a hiring manager's paperwork to say, accent bias does exist. Please be aware of this and do not take accent or language into consideration in your hiring decision. Simply raising the awareness is enough to see a considerable difference in the decisions that are made in the hiring process. The problem is that so many people are not aware of this. So the first step is simply raising awareness and making it a part of the conversation. And that's something that must be done from the top down. Um, in just the normal day-to-day, -day, it can be as simple as starting to be more inclusive in our meetings, really being aware of who's spoken, who hasn't, 
inviting people very specifically into the conversation. So if we take, you know, with the big picture of how to support people, you know, with accent bias and from a larger level, what would you do when it comes to shifting to people who are just getting into management or people leader type of roles? So they're fairly new in this role. They're trying to figure everything out. And at the same time, they have multicultural teams. And even nowadays, you also have remote multicultural teams. What practical advice could you give to new people leaders on how to bring their team together, even as a leader, or how to facilitate this awareness in their team? Mm -hmm. Well, this is really where the listening comes in at the ground level. I mean, when you're taking over a new team, it's about getting to know that team as best you can, as quickly as possible. And that takes a very open mind, full of curiosity, asking a lot of questions, really sitting down one-on-one, getting to know your people and asking them some really good open-ended questions around where they see things working, where they have suggestions and making them feel heard and acknowledged if you want to bring that team together. And then from the day-to-day perspective in those meetings, encouraging everyone to speak up, being aware of who are the more talkative who have the louder voices, who have the quieter voices, how can you then balance those voices for inclusion by inviting those softer voices to take on more visible roles, to present at the next meeting, to add their ideas to the discussion, to ensure that everyone is being heard? Because we have this mindset that, oh, if they're not saying anything, they must not have anything to say. They just don't contribute very much. They aren't a part of the team. They're choosing to stay quiet. And that usually is not the case. Those people are usually the most thoughtful, the ones who are not just speaking to make noise, but when they speak, they really have something to say. And if you give them the platform and opportunity, they will show up and they will contribute, but they often are talked over or interrupted or not given that opportunity. So as the the new leader or manager, that's your job to ensure that everyone is included in that discussion and the voices are heard. And so I would say step number one, sit down with everyone individually, get a really good feel, get to know them, build those relationships, truly connect with them through listening the way that that woman at the conference connected with me by not talking and by listening to me. And then from there, watching the team in action and ensuring everyone is on board and expressing themselves well and contributing. So let's bridge that over these, whether they're a new people leader or whether they've been around for a long Mm -hmm. time in terms of leadership. And because leaders tend to talk a lot. Yes. Because we're expected to have answers and Mm -hmm. solutions and and whatnot. What is a a key message that would be important for leaders in general Mm -hmm. to, to take with them when they're considering the big picture here? Yeah, well, it's a little ironic that I wrote a book called Unmuted because, you know, even the tag, the the subtitle is how to show up, speak up and inspire action. So it's very much written for leaders who are using their voices, but are typically loud voices to lead and inspire. But it's really important for us to remember that in order to truly unmute, we need to mute first. We need to know when it's appropriate to mute. It's not just about showing up and running the show and being the only one speaking in the room and firing off directives to everyone. It's about knowing how to listen. And I honestly think the best leaders I've ever met do the least amount of talking. They allow their people to show up and contribute and they acknowledge them 
regularly and acknowledge their contributions and make them feel heard because that's what people want at work. And that is how you will truly inspire people to follow you and your vision when they feel that connection to you. And you build that bridge and you form that bond through that powerful listening. And that's where it all begins. So I would say the thing to keep in mind and the one, if you're going to leave this conversation with nothing else, I would encourage people to remember that mute button before they're trying to unmute. Well, thank you so much for this wonderful conversation. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our audience that we haven't gone over yet? Oh, I think we've hit some of the most amazing stories and you've sparked so many thoughts in me of conversations I've had and stories from my life and my career that I had forgotten. So no, I've really, really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for the work you're doing in the world to raise such an important part of the communication equation of reminding people to be a listening ear as well. So thanks so Mm -hmm. much for the conversation. People want to find you. How do they do that? Mm -hmm. You can find me at my author website, which is heatherhanson.com, or my company is globalspeechacademy.com, and that's where you'll find information on our training and coaching programs. Yep, and we'll add all of these to the links at the bottom of the podcast. So it's been really a pleasure, and I love how we can mute to unmute. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I love how we're just embracing all the different accents to be understood. So sort of thank you, Heather, so much for what you're doing and what you're bringing to the world. Thank you. Thanks so much. You have just enjoyed your listening superpower podcast, where we dive into how to work smarter and feel better at work and at home. This is an independent show, so please show your support by subscribing, leaving a five-star review, and telling your friends. Also, if you or somebody you know has experienced listening superpowers being put into practice, email me at listeningsuperpower at gmail.com or send a voicemail at plus four nine one seven three two three four zero seven two two. If you want your team to grow their listening superpowers, you can find more information at listeningalchemy.com. I'm your host, Raquel Ark. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Cecilia Mercado, for your amazing podcast production, Dorta Streicher for your impactful artwork, and Evo Tiemann for your inspiring music. It's been fun, and see you guys on the next episode.